Hello and welcome to Murder and Mayhem, a South African true crime podcast hosted by me, Bella Monsoon. I'm a mental health professional, so Murder and Mayhem, a South African true crime podcast, explores real-life crimes occurring within South Africa from a psychological viewpoint. Every week, a new case is examined and we delve headfirst into the motives that drive people to do what they do. Join me weekly on a journey into the minds behind the madness as we traverse murder, mayhem, and much more. Today's episode is one that might not be for the more sensitive listeners or those who were triggered by cases of child abuse and neglect. It is, however, a story that needs to be told, as I myself was not even aware of this case until very recently. This beautiful little girl, Poppy van der Mava, deserves to have her voice and her story heard. Should you feel triggered by anything discussed in this podcast, I have a full list of mental health resources available on my website, bellamonsoon.com, regardless of where in the world you are situated. But now, on to the episode. On the 9th of August 2013, Louisa Cornelia Susanna Fandemava was born. She was named after her mother, but she was given the nickname Poppy because she looked like a little doll. For my non-South African listeners, or those who do not speak Afrikaans, in Afrikaans, the word poppy roughly translates to doll. Unfortunately, her life was to come to a tragic end when she was only three years old. This is her story. I'll start off by introducing you to her parents, Louisa and Christo. Louisa Cornelia Susanna Bothma grew up in Dispatch, Eastern Cape. Her biological father died in 1984 when she was only 10 years old. The following year, her mother had then remarried. Louisa claimed in later allegations that her stepfather raped and degraded her throughout her remaining childhood years. She then went on to get married. However, her first husband, Freddie, allegedly abused her and wore away at her self-esteem. Before the marriage ended, she had two children with him, Yaku and Marlies. It was shortly after this that she met Christo. Johann Christoffel van der Merwe was born in Freiburg on December 11, 1978. After finishing school, he studied to become a diesel mechanic. In the years to follow, he went on to meet Louisa and they started a family. Together, they went on to live in Western Naria, where Christo, as he was known, took a job as a diesel mechanic. As time went on, however, the relationship degraded to a point where he became abusive. One thing led to the next and eventually Louisa in 2014 ended up taking a protection order out against him. The order stated that Christo was not to assault the children, Marlies, Yaku and Louisa, as well as not to abuse or threaten Louisa or the children with threats of violence. The couple then split up and Christo was instructed to only see the children or speak to them every Sunday. This is a snippet of one of the recorded conversations between Christo and Poppy. Is he crying? Sure. Yeah, my mate. Yeah, Papa. 
Was macht ihr noch? Kijk je niet TV? Ja. En ga je school? In the audio of a recorded conversation between Christo and Poppy, Christo's love for his daughter is clearly audible, as Poppy tells her father that she is watching television. She also tells him that she is still small and sings Hansi Slum, an Afrikaans lullaby, to him. Shortly after the divorce, Louisa packed up and moved to Oranya, where her mother, Susanna Bothma, lived. She moved in an attempt to get back on her feet with her children. So, for my non-South African listeners, or those who just aren't aware, Oranya is one of, if not the only, whites-only town in South Africa. Yes, you heard me correctly. Although... If we must be technical, they do state in their mission statement of sorts that it is an Afrikaner-only town. Let me quickly explain. Oranya is a semi-autonomous Afrikaner town located along the Orange River in the Karoo region of the Northern Cape. It was first established in 1991, a year after Mandela's release from Robben Island. Democracy and freedom for all! As of 2019 stats, there are 1,773 residents living there and the town is booming. They have their own president as well as their own currency, the aura. They too, of course, have their own flag. The purpose of this town, according to the Oranians, is to preserve the Afrikaner culture. Do keep in mind there are no black and white, excuse the pun, rules preventing black people or people of color from visiting. However, the majority choose to avoid the area for obvious reasons. Anyways, back to Louisa. It was here in Orania where Louisa met Quirbus Kukumur. At this time, she was working as a general worker in the OK Grocer. The OK Grocer is an affordable grocery store in South Africa. Then Kubas Kukumur came along. He was born and he grew up in Pretoria, attending the University of Pretoria after he had finished school. During his childhood, he apparently experienced much corporal punishment and was used to being physically disciplined often. It was a different era. He had gone on to study towards a national diploma to become an electrician. He, however, ended up working as a chef in the army for a short while before moving to Oranje in 2014. During their time in Oranje, Louise's eldest daughter, Marlies, was more of a mother figure to Poppy than Louisa ever was. Marlies was often left in charge of the little ones, Yaku and Poppy, and she often took them both to school. It reached a point where Poppy even thought of Marlies as her ma, and she would call her that. In that light, the role that Marlies played was vital in the development and the growth of the younger children. It was in September of 2015 when Marlies, who was 14 years old at the time, along with two-year-old Poppy, as well as her slightly older brother, then moved into Corbus's home. On November 13th, 2015, Louisa and Corbus were married. And the very next day, Marlies was told to move out. She then left with nowhere else to go, moved in with her father, Freddie, who lived in Dispatch, Eastern Cape. 
Upon Marilise's departure, things took a turn for the worst, as the little one's only protector and source of love was no longer allowed there. Daily life was abysmal for the small children, and although the exact conditions are not known, it later came to light that both Corbus and Louisa would shout at, hit, kick, pull and twist the ears, cut off Poppy's hair, and even throw both young children against solid objects. Keep in mind, both of these children are under the age of five years old. In Aranya, a neighbor, Yaku Ru, moved into the house next door in February of 2016. This is roughly three months after Marlis was kicked out. From that point on, this neighbor noticed many of the strange happenings in the property next door, with which he shared a veranda. He often heard the little girl screaming after being scolded by her stepfather. In a particular incident, around 9pm in August of 2016, he heard Corbus shouting at Poppy, You cucked in the bed. For my non-South African or Afrikaans-speaking listeners, this basically means that you defecated in bed. He then hit the child, with her cries and screams ensuing afterwards. The next day... Her leg was in a plaster of Paris cast. When Yaku had asked what had happened, Kurbus had become highly agitated, and Louisa had said that Poppy had just fallen down the stairs. On a separate occasion, on a cold winter's day, he witnessed Kurbus spraying the two young children with water from the hose pipe. Kurbus had then made them both sit, soaking wet, out in the cold on the veranda for about 20 minutes. Both incidents were reported to social workers by the neighbor Yaku, but no action was taken. This would also not be the first time reports went unnoticed, but I'll get into that shortly. On top of everything else, the two young children also shared a bed with the couple and were thus subjected to all the intimate relations that were had between the two. Corbus ruled the house with an iron fist and neighbors later reported that the children, whilst happy and joyful when the couple were out, were solemn when both Louisa and Corbus were home. Eventually, when the social workers finally started to ask questions and take action, Louisa and Corbus fled almost overnight. They left with the children from Orania to Mamo Kral, near Brits, in September of 2016. It was here that little Poppy would tragically meet her demise on the 25th of October 2016. The family had arrived at the emergency unit of the Brits Hospital. That day, the paramedic on scene, Maurice De Beer, recounted that he had tried to resuscitate Poppy. However, he had soon realized that the child had been dead for a while, as rigor mortis had already set in as he had struggled to open her mouth. Dr. Richard Gumbu from the Brits Provincial Hospital testified to the bruises that covered the little girl's body, even stating that she had bruises on her private parts. It was Dr. Gumbu who declared Poppy dead. He had then called the police, as it was clear that she had not died from natural causes. When speaking to the family, both Louisa and Corbus did not want the police to be called. Corbus even went as far as to state that the bruises on Poppy's body were sustained in their bucky on the way to the hospital as the family had raced there at high speed. He claimed they were as a result of the impact of bouncing around the vehicle. Regarding her death, 
the official story they provided was that she had been watching TV and suddenly collapsed. The truth of the matter was very different, but the actual chain of events that unfolded may never be known, as Louisa and Corbus both turned the blame onto one another. This is the series of events according to Louisa. Louisa had testified in court that Poppy was half awake, half asleep when Corbus had come in from town and kicked her in the stomach as she lay on the mat by the television. Louisa then stated that Corbus had told her to fetch the groceries from the vehicle. When she had returned inside, however, Poppy was no longer in front of the TV. She claims that Corbus had then told her that she is playing dead again, referring of course to Poppy. She had then allegedly stumbled upon Poppy in the bathroom, but the toddler was already turning blue at the mouth at that point in time. She had tried to resuscitate her, but it was too late. She claims that Corbus had hit Poppy headfirst into a kitchen cupboard and then later kicked her whilst she was on the ground. The series of events according to Corbus. Corbus said that on that day, Louisa was unhappy with Poppy, who was potty training at the time and had soiled her bed. She had then sent Poppy back to her bedroom as a punishment whilst the others ate breakfast. Louisa had then apparently gone to fetch the dish and noticed that Poppy had had an accident. She had then shouted at Poppy, you sh** on your bed. Next thing, she had thrown Poppy out the room. Poppy had apparently hit her head against the wall and tried to get up. She had then lost her balance and ran into the wall in a bid to get away. Louisa had then allegedly grabbed the child by the arm and thrown her into the bath before hosing her down. It was at this point that Corbus had left to go to the shops because that's completely normal in the middle of chaos to just go to the shops. But anyway, when he returned, he had found Poppy lying in the kitchen where the trash can usually was. Louisa had then told him that Poppy was playing dead again as she wanted attention. He then had apparently gone outside, but later Louisa had called him to tell him that Poppy wasn't breathing. He had then allegedly put her in the bath and had thrown water over her and attempted CPR, but eventually he had given up and rushed her to the hospital. According to forensic analysis by Dr. Gert Seyman, Poppy died of severe head injuries caused by blunt force trauma. At the time of her death, her injuries were consistent with extensive child abuse and her hair had been shaved off to the skin. Additionally, she had a massive bump to her forehead and around 25 old and new injuries to her little body. In photographs shown in court, the little girl was unrecognizable in comparison to earlier photos. So why did no one do or say anything to help this little girl before it was too late? Judge Bam said the doctor social workers, teacher, and church minister in Orania who knew about the abuse but did nothing could arguably be regarded as accomplices to her death. As mentioned, the neighbor Rue had on multiple occasions reported the injuries and treatment of the children to the authorities. 
Although Poppy's teacher, Esna Shkuman, shed a tear whilst testifying, she too did not report the injuries. She described Poppy as a lovable child who used to hug all of her little friends. Poppy had arrived at school one day with a huge bump on her forehead and a black eye, and had told Esna that her mother had punched her. On other occasions, she would wear a winter coat and refused to take it off because she had been instructed not to remove it. She also had bruises and cuts on her body on many occasions. Esna had taken photos of the injuries, but did not take the matter further as she believed the matter was being handled by social services. Social services in Orania said that they had monitored the family. A doctor, Margaret Becker, said that although she noted the injuries on Poppy on multiple occasions, she simply recorded the injuries. At one stage, even a broken leg. Shockingly, even though she had realized that Poppy had bruises of different ages on her hands, her forearms, her feet, and her earlobes, which she herself had attributed to excessive violence, she did not report this, as she too believed that the local social services would handle the matter. Poppy's younger brother also often had UTIs and bruises on his body. The doctor went on to state that she had also not reported the occurrences, as she believed Councillor Smith was handling the matter. And so we move to Councillor Smith. Councillor Heidi Smith of Aranya said that the community had assisted the family in many ways as they were poor. Following complaints of abuse, she had monitored the situation with the children, even having them stay with her for a week. Poppy had woken up every single night screaming because of nightmares. But yet, nothing was done. When later questioned about the complaints against them, Corbus blamed the injuries on the kids being rough in school. He went on to state that they had left Aranya because Aranya and the people in there had a vendetta against them. He said at first he gave the naughty poppy and her brother hidings, aka physical beatings, with his hand, but they had just laughed at him. He had then bought a papal which is the Afrikaans word for porridge spoon, which is essentially a wooden spoon, and he had then hit them with it. He had then went on to tell the court, You don't know these children. They are tough and did not just cry. The social services in Aranya said that they contacted social workers in nearby Hopetown to step in, but they never received any feedback. The social worker, however, in Hopetown said that she received no correspondence regarding the children. So essentially, as you can tell by the last few minutes, this was a blame game. Everyone passed the blame on to the next person. And it wasn't just the onlookers who figured this out. Judge Bert Bam questioned the witnesses as to why they had not acted when they clearly suspected that the children were being abused. He went on to state that there was a duty on them to notify the police, yet they had all done nothing up until her body arrived at the Brits Hospital. It became clear during the evidence that although the warning bell sounded, the authorities had failed the little girl. 
Aside from the obvious issues with the authorities in this case, there is also a psychological theory, which may help to explain the behavior of all the individuals who came into contact with Poppy and did nothing. This theory is known as the bystander effect. So essentially, the bystander effect refers to the phenomenon in which the greater the number of people present, the less likely people are to help a person in distress. This effect is usually related to a short-term event, such as a mugging or hijacking, etc. However, I feel as though it is also pertinent in a scenario with a longer time span, such as Poppy's abuse. The most common example of the bystander effect, of which you may have heard of, is the case of the brutal murder of a young woman named Catherine Genovese. On March 13, 1964, the 28-year-old woman was returning home from work, but as she had approached her apartment entrance, she was attacked and stabbed. Despite her repeated calls for help, none of the dozen or so people in the nearby buildings who heard her cries had called the police. Her attack had begun at 3.20am and it was only around 3.50am that the police were eventually called. So although that case may not seem identical to Poppy's, I feel as though there are similarities between the two, especially when understanding how the bystander effect comes about. There are two main factors at play, diffusion of responsibility and the need to be socially acceptable. The first states that the more people are aware of a situation, the less pressure an individual feels to react. In the case of Poppy, the teachers believed that the social workers would deal with it, as did the doctor and the nurse who often saw her too. However, the social workers weren't even aware of the situation at that time. The second factor, the idea of being socially acceptable, is an interesting one, especially in the context of Aranya. As I explained earlier, Aranya is its own little town, and it often comes under scrutiny for many reasons. The doctors, nurses, and teachers in Aranya might also not have wanted to report this abuse for fear of the social implications and outcry that may have come about as a result. Individuals have a need to be socially acceptable and thus will often hesitate to go against what is considered the norm. Throughout the trial, Louisa also stated that Kubas vowed to kill her and the children if she ever spoke out. She added that she had never abused Poppy, but conceded that she never stopped her husband Quirbus from doing so. She had said, if I don't get involved, then the kids won't be hurt as much. Whether or not that is true, we will never know. This type of behavior is unfortunately common though, even with the parents of children who are being abused, if they themselves have been and continue to be abused. I'm not saying that this is the case with Louisa, but I have seen a couple of cases where the term battered woman syndrome is mentioned. I did also speak about this in two of my prior YouTube episodes, namely the Springs House of Horrors and the Elizabeth Fritzel case. I will link them in the description if you're interested. 
According to Corbus's ex-wife, who has a son with him, she did not allow him to see his son after the divorce, as he had a long history of violence. During the court proceedings, he apparently didn't even show emotion when images of Poppy's battered body were shown. According to Louise's ex-husband, she would always instruct him to reprimand the children. The only person who gave direct evidence to the abuse, besides Louise and Quibbers, was Poppy's brother, who was six years old at the time and testified in camera. He repeatedly said that his stepfather, Quibbers, killed Poppy, and that after he hurt her, she lay on her bed with her teddy bear close to her, not moving. He was upset as he said he could never play with her again. The young boy was placed into the custody of relatives. Shortly after Poppy's death and prior to Louisa's arrest, Louisa was apparently kidnapped by someone posing as a police officer and she claims that she was then assaulted. She also claimed that the woman had demanded that she tell the truth before beating her in the face and head. The woman had then threatened to kill her as she had killed Poppy. Louisa had then somehow managed to escape though and had run to a petrol station close by. The validity of these allegations were never proven. During the time when he was being held during court proceedings, Quibbers had also slit his wrists whilst in the holding cells. It really just seems as though these two would say and do anything to try and get out of the situation that they had put themselves into. Louisa and Quibbers pleaded not guilty to four charges, including murder and assault with the intent to do grievous bodily harm. They both ended up receiving life sentences as well as an additional 10 years each for child abuse after being found guilty in December of 2017. In South Africa, a life sentence is 25 years. They will therefore have to remain in prison for at least 25 years before being eligible for parole. When asked by her advocate whether she had any remorse regarding Poppy's death, Louisa had said, Yes, I have remorse. I am sorry that I could not help her, but I was not able to. I did not know what to do. Please believe me. I was not able to ascertain where exactly Poppy's brother is now as whilst researching, I did discover that Christo, Poppy's father, was also involved in some dodgy affairs with his ex-wife even saying, I now understand why Louisa left him, as well as, I was lucky to get out alive. This came about after she had laid a charge of assault against him, stating that even throughout court proceedings, he was physically abusive, to the point where she said, On the day of the sentencing, I told him, I could not sit and watch him with the sentencing when I feel he should have been next to Corbus. There are also a bunch of other allegations against him, which I will not get into now, but all I do hope is that wherever Poppy's little brother is, he is safe and he is loved. For the duration of Poppy's short life, she was failed time and time again, not only by the authorities who had a role to play in her safety, but by the people who were supposed to be her caretakers. She was failed by the woman who gave her life.
Although justice may have been served in this case, like so many other children who were abused and murdered by their own parents, justice will not bring them back. And for the Bella bottom line, all I can say is that we each have a role to play. If you see something, say something. You don't know whose life you could be saving. Should you wish to report child abuse or neglect within South Africa, please contact Childline on 086-511-0032. So until next time, stay safe, stay awesome, and stay blessed.